Welcome to Talks at Advent, homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia. Today's speaker is Stephen Brannan. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, God is one. Amen. Not to forgive my voice today, struggling just a little bit with the remnants of a cold. Uh, you'll have noticed, I hope, today that the liturgical colors have changed. Uh, we are now in violet, and you know what that means. We enter today the second of two cycles in the church calendar, the first beginning with the first Sunday of Advent and ending last night at Vespers, was the Christmas cycle, with all the days before and after it counting either toward or away from it, with that feast as the anchor. The cycle we begin today has as its anchor Easter. We begin counting toward Easter today, which gives us a clue as to the name of the Sunday Septuagesima. That's what it's called. In Latin, that name means 70th because today is the Sunday closest to 70 days from Easter. Next Sunday, Sexagesima is, means 60th. The following Sunday, Quinquagesima means 50. And all these Sundays are, of course, not exactly 70, 60, and 50 days away from Easter, but they take their names from uh, the name, the Latin name of the Lenten season, which is Quadragesima, meaning 40th, uh, which is a season beginning exactly 40 fasting days before Easter. So if Lent is only 40 fasting days and starts on Ash Wednesday, what are we doing today? Why, why the violet? Uh, why have we hidden the Alleluias? I don't know if you noticed. We didn't sing the Te Deum in morning prayer. We didn't do the Gloria in Mass just now. We are already counting toward Easter. Why? Because we are preparing for Great Lent. If we emulate Jesus' 40-day fast in the desert during Lent, then this season, pre-Lent, if you will, is the journey into the desert. It's already a sober, somber walk. It's our soft entry into the fast this is the time that we begin to make an intentional effort to put our minds and hearts to the task of repentance. This is when we start making our plans for how we will increase our almsgiving, how we will increase our prayer, how we will set ourselves up to successfully keep the fast. If Lent is how we spiritually prepare to meet the risen Lord on Easter, then now is the time for us to prepare to prepare, to put some effort into planning our Lenten walk. And by putting effort into planning our Lenten walk, I mean very practically make a plan, figure out how you're going to do it, figure out to where you're going to give your extra time and money, figure out how you're going to spend uh, time praying more and make some plans for going to the grocery store, <laughs> eating all the meat you have now so you're not tempted during Lent or freezing it, buying more vegetables, figuring out what to eat, uh, we're, we're embodied creatures and we need practical plans for these things. So now's the time. Uh, but one of the ways that the church liturgically helps us to uh, find our way into this season of fasting is by plunging us today, first thing, through the elements of the liturgy into the penitential landscape. I already noted the color change, the withholding of alleluias, etc. But the lectionary also feeds us with new themes today. The gospel passage today is an extremely poignant parable for this season. 
In the most immediate sense, it calls to mind the Lenten fast itself quickly approaching, along with the prayer and almsgiving, as the work in the vineyard. I know all of you know that on Easter Eve at the great Paschal Vigil, we always read that enduring homily by St. John Chrysostom, which makes use of the lesson of this parable in exactly that way. All who have labored during Lent are welcome to the feast, those who have labored from the first and those who have only labored from the last. And we're reminded, we all here today who are called to labor from the first, not to grumble or murmur at the mercy which God shows to those who we perceive as not having worked as hard as us. This parable can also be applied, though, to the lifetime of man, with the early morning being childhood, the third hour being adolescence, the sixth hour young adulthood, the ninth hour being maturity, and the eleventh hour being old age. Some people serve God from the time that they're children. Others answer the call later in life. Some don't respond to Christ until their very last days. But like the thief who entered paradise even before any of the apostles, the last also received their wage, the denarius or the penny, that is, entrance into the kingdom of God. St. Gregory the Great found this interpretation very profitable and preached powerfully to his church about what laboring in the vineyard means and about not judging your fellow laborers. But he also considered another interpretation of this parable equally as true an interpretation that was expressed at least as early as origin in the early 200s. And that's that the day of laboring in the vineyard could represent not just the Lenten season, not just the life of man, but the entire history of the world. In this interpretation, the five groups of laborers called in the morning, the third, sixth, ninth, and eleventh hours have five distinct time periods in history. As St. Gregory puts it, for the morning of the world was from Adam to Noah, the third hour from Noah to Abraham, the sixth hour from Abraham to Moses, the ninth from Moses to the coming of the Lord, the eleventh from the Lord's coming till the end of the world, in which last hour the holy apostles were sent as laborers and preachers, who, though they came yet late, yet received the full wage. I hope as I run through that list, Adam to Moses to Abraham uh, to, I mean, Adam to Noah to Abraham to Moses, you, you are following and tracking along with that history. I hope we all have a grasp of the, the broad scope of salvation history as told throughout the Old Testament. <clears throat> I didn't growing up. I didn't have a great sense of the narrative of Scripture. That's something that I've only come to later in life, and it's been extremely profitable. But here we see... Um, incredibly early in the church, Christians knew salvation history. They knew what led up to Christ. And that's why when they read a parable like this, they recognized what they meditated on in the, in the history of, of the world. In this story, in this interpretation, we all are the 11th hour workers who already have the benefit of coming to the vineyard after the heat of the day, after the hardest laboring that there was to do after all the prep work had been done for us. In other words, the gospel has already been announced, the saving work of Jesus Christ accomplished. We don't, like the figures of the Old Testament, have to continually wait for new covenants, new revelations, new prophets, new actions of God to see what plans he has in store for the world. It has all been accomplished. We live in the light of that full revelation already. 
We just have to live in that light. It's not that we don't have anything to do as 11th hour laborers. We do. But it's the easiest work that there is. And we still get the same wage as the harder working Old Testament righteous figures did. In fact, according to Hebrews 11.40, all those previous generations had to wait on us before being perfected and glorified because God, the householder, had something better planned. He knew he'd be calling workers even at the 11th hour. This is what that verse says. Since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect, referring to those Old Testament figures. Maybe this is why the 11th hour laborers aren't mentioned grumbling in the parable, but the, the earlier workers are. Uh, they, they had to wait in Hades, however uh, neutral that might have been, however not unpleasant, it was still not the kingdom of God. They had to wait for the 11th hour workers. Also, this division of time, Adam to Noah to Abraham to Moses to Jesus, is echoed very intentionally, I think, in the lectionary of the church starting on this day and going right through Lent until the last two weeks at Passiontide. So all the way from starting from now until the fourth Sunday in Lent, there's a, uh, a, a very intentional progression where in the ancient lectionary of Matins, matins. Uh, And guess which figures are focused on in the lectionary, in the lessons in those ancient uh, readings in matins? You guessed it. Adam, Noah, Abraham, and his descendants, and Moses. So today's ancient matins lesson actually focuses on Adam and his expulsion from the Garden of Eden, a gardener who failed at his task and was cursed to labor in the soil. The resonances with the gospel parable about the vineyard are strong. What's more, Christ, the initiator of the 11th hour group, is the true Adam, creating a new covenant and recapitulating, that is, becoming the head of all of the human race anew. Next Sunday's Matin's lessons actually focus on Noah, and they also relate to the gospel passage used during Mass And the lesson for us is, again, that Christ is the new Noah, saving the world from the deluge of sin, death, and destruction, and reestablishing a world anew and scattering new seed, that is, new life. The third Sunday of this pre-Lenten season focuses on Abraham in Matins, and the Mass Gospel, again, relates to this central theme, that Christ is the new Abraham, the true father of all who have faith. Then as Lent begins, the Sunday matin lessons cover the immediate descendants of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. But then the fourth Sunday of Lent culminates in lessons about Moses in Matins. And once again, the mass gospel is related to the theme of Christ being the new Moses, the redeemer of his people from bondage, the giver of new commandments, he who opens the side of a rock that is himself to refresh people with living streams, And he who lifts up the sign in the air, which all who look upon it with faith will be saved. And he who feeds his people with manna from heaven. This interpretation of today's gospel and this pathway through the season are no accident. And to cap it all off, to summarize and give thanks thanks to God for showing us this pathway. Guess what the first four Old Testament lessons are during the Paschal Vigil? You know how Saturday night before Easter, we have those long Old Testament readings. We have all those lessons. We call them the prophecies. Guess what the first four are about? Adam, 
Noah, Abraham, Moses. This season is building a theme for us. Today we begin a journey of rediscovery of our own salvation history. We're reminded of our collective expulsion from the vineyard at that beginning, which we've all deserved because of our sin, but also of the faithful righteous before us who have worked diligently to prepare this new vineyard, the Holy Church, for us to labor in and who have in their holy lives prefigured the Savior of the world. May we, over the next couple of weeks, prepare ourselves afresh to labor fruitfully in the vineyard and through our actions, ourselves become figures of Christ in the world. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, God is one. Amen. Talks at Advent, homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia.